Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. What do you know about social psychology? It's the study of how our behavior is influenced by the world around us. Not influenced. Manipulated. I believe this murder in Reston is part of an underground social psychology experiment. Strap on your tinfoil hat, Lizzie. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. My name is David Pizarro. I'm from Cornell University. Tamler, on a scale of 1 to 11, with 11 being the most, how much sexual desire are you currently feeling? Let's see. Be honest. I don't know what you were looking at right before. I'd say I'm about, (laughs) I'm at about like a a 7. (laughs) <laughs> is a seven I don't know where the tra- midpoint on the Likert scale is. And you're Tamler Summers. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. So this is all, this is all relevant to our topic today. How? So what we're going to discuss today is this paper. Did did we mention this in the previous episode at all? I don't, I don't think, think so. so. Yeah, I, don't I don't think, think so. Because we would have had to talk about it if we you're right. Right. So this is a paper by Roy Baumeister and Ent, I don't remember Ent's first name, on how beliefs and free will are influenced by bodily state. For the record, this is intended to be a short episode. It's Michael, wanted, Michael Ent. Michael Ent, yeah. And um, he's first author on it. He's a, he's a, yeah, okay. And he's a tree? <laughs> uh, what? I'm sure he's not. It's a Lord of the Rings joke. I'm sorry. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Is there any nerd thing that you don't like, that you don't uh, do? Doctor Who. Uh, I know nothing about Doctor Who. And uh, uh, I, 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 yeah, no, I, I used to watch Doctor Who as a kid. It was on like the the th- one of the three channels I had as a kid, and I remember seeing like the curly haired guy with a scarf, and then just changing the channel. I, I yeah, preferred no, but but you have to look a little farther to his partner. <laughs> yeah, she was better. awesome. She was like one of my first crushes, her and um, the girl from Dallas or the <laughs> woman from Dallas, uh, Victoria Principal. I was, Victoria I was much more a, a Falcon Crest washer. Oh, oh yeah. You like the, you like the older, older women. <laughs> when soap operas were on prime time. Uh, okay, so free Good will thing. and <laughs> we're young. Actually, we're really young. We're really I'm, talking, young. I'm talking about the new Dallas. That the new the new Victoria <laughs> Principal. Her middle name is deontological. Um, All right, so this free will thing, <laughs> free will, free will, and moral beliefs. 
uh, or beliefs, sorry, beliefs. No, no, no. Yeah. So free will, <laughs> and they actually don't get to moral beliefs. Free will as influenced by bodily states. So here's, the type- the, here's the headline of it reported in New York Magazine. Your belief in free will depends on whether you need to pee. <laughs> exactly. And that's the headline that I saw, and that's what just captured my attention. And then I realized that uh, Roy Baumeister, who is a friend of mine, for real, was yeah, right. was an author on this paper and but a lot of his recent papers have been on free will so he's doing a lot of work on this can i just say before we get into this particular paper that i finally figured out how social psychology works this was the study that made me realize it so you remember that south park where they find out how family guys are written yes. <laughs> with the manatees and they have these <laughs> balls in a big tank doing the laundry, going to Mexico, Gary Coleman, pop culture references, normal household things and whatever. And then they, the manatees just randomly pick those out and then they make the joke out of that. Well, that, that, that's what social psychology is. Like you have a bunch of manatees and you have like this balls of like ordinary human things having to pee, being in a messy room. Uh, a little oxytocin uh, <laughs> yes. pumped in the room or whatever. And then on the other side, like, believe in free will, be more retributive, be more utilitarian, be more deontological. And it just you, – you just put, randomly put those things together. And you're, and you're only describing moral social psychology. <laughs> right. uh, wait until you see just the average – for a while there, the average poster at a social psychology conference was just the effects of X on Y, where X was something that we knew kind of affected stuff, and then Y was something that was affected, and like you would just pick and choose like even more randomly than it, like than the ma- than the yeah. manatees, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then but, like you just you know to get your effect if it's not there for some reason you just pee hack. Well, what you do is you use a magic eight ball. And then you you reverse right. you reverse generate numbers that are consistent with what the eight balls. Oh, is that uh, what? Yeah, okay. Well, I didn't know, you know that part. I didn't want to say. The I'm in the is, midst of my investigation. You're just jealous that we can mind control. Um, <laughs> are, are you caught up on a serial? No the podcast. No. Oh, you. I haven't listen. listened to it at all. Actually. So much better than this podcast. Well, I was going to say your theory is a more plausible account of how this podcast works. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Because that's why we're talking about it. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, so the paper is titled uh, Embodied Free Will Beliefs, Some Effects of Physical States on Metaphysical Opinions, Okay, Uh, which is all philosophy is, by the way. Metaphysical opinions. Well, I guess metaphysics. (laughs) You want to give just a broad overview? Because in my trial, I'm getting into regression. No, no, no. I think you should do it. Because I think you're more familiar with the details of the study than I am. Okay, well, just broadly stated, there's this work in social psychology on how bodily states influence thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and it's collectively called embodiment. Uh, So embodied cognition idea is it's not just the computation of your brain that's influencing. There is a way in which your body feeds back into the computations of your brain to generate like all sorts of things. And the idea is that we are radically influenced by things like bodily states or by for instance the fact that we have the bodies that we have like having two arms these that these things all influence the kinds of thoughts that we have and that if you didn't have a body but you still had some sort of computational mind 
it would be your mind would be drastically different in its judgments right because because so much of our thinking is tied to to our bodily states which is right. a controversial idea um and it depends on how you describe it sometimes it's sometimes the studies in this are just super commonsensical like you know, of course, when you're feeling something like pain in your body, it changes the way that you think. That's just how shit works. It's not really a, a radical theory. And, but sometimes the more, the more radical version is that we would not have the thoughts that we have if it weren't for... for well, yeah. And, and this is like, you know, the, if you've read Damasio, mm-hmm. it's, it radically shifts... The way that you think about things in some ways. For example, when I was in Morris, my sort of understanding of how the experience of being cold works is there's a level of temperature outside which which causes you to feel cold, which causes you to like make your body all crunched up and cold and trying to huddle against yourself. And then I, I was reading Damasio and then one day I was like, what if I just don't make my body act like I physically try to not make my body act cold and and I didn't like so I would just walk as if it was warm outside no huddling no nothing and I felt less cold right uh, it was the, then when I was huddling right and I would tell people this I actually was like I, I was annoying I know I annoyed people because nobody else believed me that this worked at all uh, <laughs> you have a, but you I have swear a great, to god it works you have a, wi- like, a wide repertoire of, uh, of annoying and so it like shifts your the, when you read stuff like that it shifts your ideas that it's actually what your body is doing that making you think that way whether rather than you experiencing that makes your body act in a certain way right here's the the more radical take on this like because the cold was making your body sort of collapse on itself and in an attempt to stay warm that even other things like how shy or extroverted you're feeling um is that those are affected by as a side effect of how you happen to be holding your body right you might be less confident if you're shivering and cold because your body this is where the manatees come in this is like (laughs) (laughs) well well so so you know here are some of the more controversial experiments on this uh if you there's a sort of now fairly well-known study that if you're holding a warm coffee mug, you uh, are warmer in your social interactions, right? Um, because of the the idea here is that just the metaphor is so deep that feeling warmth actually makes us be more warm um, socially in a way that's obviously not about warmth, but about the metaphor of warm socially versus cold socially. And, you know, so people have pointed out like the nordic countries people are maybe a little bit more distant (laughs) than in say hawaii or or anything that's close to the equator yeah Um, i mean that's definitely true and and americans in the south are much warmer than americans in the north might be trivially about mood (laughs) like on sunny days i'm just happier (laughs) and uh, you don't get many of those up in ithaca right Oh my God! I was freezing because it was thirty-five degrees outside, and I thought to myself, "I better adapt really quickly," because I spent last summer in Durham. I mean, the last winter in Durham. So it's been a good year since I've experienced like single-digit cold, and so I'm just hoping. Um, no, it's going to be a bad winter. They say. Uh, God damn it! So it's uh, so, okay. So it's taking that general idea here and trying to see if bodily states affect free will. So the uh, the specific bodily states that they are referring to are ones in which you feel sort of compelled to act in a way that's it's not it doesn't seem agentic so 
I could have opened the the opening question could have been like how on a scale of one to eleven, how much do you have to pee? Um, and the idea is that when you have to pee, you really have to pee, and it's not it's not as if you make a decision to want to pee. It's just that your body is telling you you got to do it. If you've ever been stuck in traffic and had to pee, empty right. Coke bottle. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> just saying just you, you know, know suppose like, you're stuck on the george washington bridge the, for an hour I, and you have to pee so bad that the bottle is like you know what like, like if i'm doing that i might as well just piss in the car like so <laughs> little of that is getting in the coke bottle that it's really? not even worth like the pretense of it you're you're saying you need a, a may, mayonnaise jar is yeah exactly <laughs> um yeah it's, it requires great precision um uh so, so the idea is it's uncontrollable and so this might actually influence uh temporarily influence whether or not you believe in free will and so uh they they went through a number of bodily states so there are three experiments one is just not about your temporary bodily state but actually looking at people who have um certain kinds of disorders so two specifically epilepsy and uh, panic disorder, both characterized by sort of not being able to control the things that you're experiencing. Um, and then they look at uh, particular states, uh, temporary physical states that everybody experiences, hunger, sexual arousal, desire to urinate. What else? Hunger and dieters. The manatees were working overtime for this one. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about whether this is random or not. Because no, um, no, no uh, yeah. yeah, but I, uh, so the, the joke manatees is the are making the I cho- choosing it. <laughs> There's their reasons responsive to a degree. <laughs> Maybe actually we should talk about how they measure free will. So how are you going to figure out whether? Oh, po- well, that's a whole change. separate discussion. Let's talk about this study and then let's talk about measuring free will because that's a, well, but but you ha- but no. the study when you when you ask whether or not it had an effect, you have to describe what it had an effect on. So there, and then we're getting to the Taka scale. But, but so they, see, it could be like this: we say it had this effect, and then we look at, and then it's like, but did it really? Right, but narrative. we have to say that there are two at least two, when you ask what, whether it had an effect. At broad strokes, they they use two general subscales: one belief in in general that people have free will, and one that they have personally they have free will. They well, free will. right. Again, but no. Uh, see, if you had been watching Serial, you would know that you don't just do it in order like that. You first <laughs> lead the listeners to think one thing, and then you subvert uh, that expectation. Okay. Yeah. The, the- Without discussing too much, but at least saying that there are two two ways in which you could say to be said to believe in free will, okay. um, whether it's general or personal, then they get these effects. They get these effects on bodily states, except for hunger. So if you have to pee, if you're sexually have sexual desire, if you're thirsty or if you're tired, that seems to make you believe less in free will. The exception was hunger. When people said if you're currently you're hungry, it didn't it didn't work. Um, and then they explore that in study three, hypothesizing that maybe people who are on a diet actually experiencing hunger is is something that they are using their will to overcome. And so so actually experiencing hunger when you're dieting might be a sort of prototypical instance in which you are exerting your free will. Uh, yeah. So but what's the P like why is this reported only as your belief in free will depends on whether you need to pee? Can we at least do this, like give that result? Yeah. So, okay. So when you look at desire to urinate, 
you get this general correlation that your personal, that your belief in your personal free will is negatively correlated with your desire to, your current desire to urinate. And that is probably the strongest effect they get. So, so it's not how do they measure headline. how much you need to pee? So that is uh, 11 point scale, like I asked you at the beginning. And the statement that you have to uh, endorse is currently I have to urinate. 11 point is is extremely and one is not at all. Um, I don't think I ever have one. <laughs> you should get have you you know you're way over 40 i hope you're getting regular prostate exams yeah. uh, prostate's too <laughs> like great. once a week like My once prostate a week <laughs> is fucking awesome yeah. the doctors are all like they're, they're they're really impressed with the prostate uh you know no, but you know by, what by you the don't, way. here's a, here's a tip you don't need to let them stick anything inside your penis there's like no. a blood test no they stick it on your ass Dummy. No, well, no, but they, they stay out of your ass and your penis in so, the one that I do. Here's another here's another piece of advice. Uh, back A back alley, quote unquote, quote, clinic where there's a guy telling, giving out free prostate exams and videotaping it yeah. is not is not really a doctor. Uh, and you don't need it once not, a week and you don't need to videotape it for medical research. So the more so there was a correlation between that and the personal will. Yeah. So uh, so the personal will scale is a combination of items that then get averaged. And so what you show is uh, the correlation of negative point four the need to urinate. So more need to urinate, less belief in personal free will. So what yeah. does that mean? Let's let's pretend we're not we haven't all. Uh, become experts in statistics <laughs> what does yeah. that mean a correlation of 0.4 so a correlation of 0.4 is the the r correlation this is a simple correlation when you plot just two numbers and see if they both grow together or they both shrink together or if there's one grows and one shrinks uh 0.1 uh, sorry 1.0 is the maximum right that means that it is exactly the same um you will never get this in real life because ev- there's just even error in measurement. Like people are just sloppy or lazy or something like so. But a point four is a really big correlation for these kinds of studies. It's a big effect. It's a big effect, right? So you know, technically, technically, there's a way in which we like anchor big effects at like something like point five to point seven. This would be a, mo- a medium effect, but for this kind of thing, and remember, like this is not this is not saying that like you're changing, you know, if your your personal philosophy entirely based on your need to urinate. It is just saying that you're having a temporary shift in the degree right. to which you endorse these things, and a temporary shift of 0.4 is you know is is a pretty big effect for something like effects of peeing on free will. That is, if philosophers would just empty their bowels every once in a while, they would all agree that free will exists. Yeah, we could just solve this debate. <laughs> and I'm sure this has something that there's no way that you can't give get an effect with this and non-consequentialist judgment. Right. So that actually gets to one, one of my big <laughs> problems here, which is across all these studies, they measure these what they are predicting as bodily states influencing what they're predicting free will. Uh, what they don't measure, which I think is really necessary to, to, to make this point, bodily states that like uh, feeling 
pain. There is a strong bodily state. Um, what they can't conclude is that this isn't just for some reason exp- having a, a strong subjective experience of any kind, uh, like like bodily pain, would influence free will beliefs. So we don't know whether they just picked these because these seem associated with a lack of control. What would be nice is a strong bodily state that's not does not come with the subjective feeling that you're you don't have control, right? Because right. maybe it's just that it puts you in a pissy mood, right? So the, the need to urinate, the sexual desire in which you're not currently getting any relief from, um, and physical tiredness, those are all pretty, like, I think as you and I can attest, physical tiredness, you know, like collectively we've gotten the, the amount of sleep that that may, may be required for like a really old person combined uh, this week. Like we've had, yeah. right? and. And as we know, like that puts you in a crabby mood. You so maybe seem all of us were tired a lot. My daughter is doing this play that has a rehearsing till 10. Jen was like, has been running ragged and we like, we just got home and just all, all started yelling at each other. Right. The best like, you can do is just shut, night, all we just did, shut the just fuck yell, up. Like all of you should just agree to yeah. not communicate because it's like so clear. So, <laughs> so it would be nice if like there was something showing that it wasn't just the, the crappy right. mood. The other thing is, Can we, 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 okay, yeah. Sorry, keep going, and then we and then we have to go into what these questions are. Another measurement problem, though. So one is you should have like a wider variety of independent variables, the things that that wouldn't be necess- they would be like put you in a crappy mood, but not change your agentic subjective sense of agency. Uh, the other is you. I would want it. I would want them to have a, a uh, other measures. Like not just other measures of free will, but other measures just of anything like that you might expect not to have not to be influenced by the bodily states that you're predicting just to show that it's not like uh, it's just making everybody respond more negatively in general to any questionnaire, a mood questionnaire, which might be theoretically related or something entirely different, like your willingness to to buy something today. Or anything, right? So you might just expect that people are just more crabby, and they're just answering in the negative for for anything. It's not specific to to quote unquote right. free will beliefs, but just to to anything that's tapping into your your optimism today. More more IVs, more independent variables, more dependent variables. Then I think you can make a much stronger case um, that it is these bodily states affecting these particular beliefs. Okay, and I and I can buy all of that. And still object to linking the answers to these questions to a belief in quote unquote free will, or right. or I don't know actually honestly like I, I've I, I've I've gone back and forth on this, but here are the personal will cl- questions, right? And yeah. and this is this is called the free will and determinism personal will questions. Yeah. I am in charge of the decisions I make. I act, right. That's number one. I actively choose what to do among the options I have. I am in charge of my actions even when my life circumstances are difficult. My decisions are influenced by a higher power. Yeah. I have free will even when my choices are limited by external circumstances. I decide what action I decide what action to take in a particular situation. My choices are limited because they fit into a larger plan, a larger plan. Uh, And then the final one is just I have free will. Okay. Right. I I find this 
first of all, weird because the idea that they call this the free will and determinism scaled because determinism, as I understand it, has nothing to do with any of these questions, right? If determinism is true, then our actions are ultimately caused by factors beyond our control that all uh, trace back to the Big Bang, right? Right. But so let's assume for the sake of argument that it's true there still be times where I feel like I'm actively choosing what to do uh, and times where I feel like I'm being I, I'm not choosing. I'm just constrained right. by by tough external by life's external circumstances. And, you know, there are times when I decide what action to do, like Jen and I decide do we want to go on vacation? We decide yes or no. And there are other times where I don't like when I mindlessly start brushing my teeth for the second time, even though I had already brushed my teeth or something like that. Right. right? And it's just pure, like all those things are, 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 they have nothing to do whether um, determinism is true now. Right. So, but th this is a good point, And I think that it's a, you're in good company with like people like Thomas Nadelhofer, our friend who really thinks that these scales needed help and, I think he and Eddie and others developed a new scale of free will that actually takes these things into account. Because what you're pointing to is the difference between belief in determinism and belief in just agency, right? right? So in some That's metaphysical That's what these sense, are. These are belief in agency. Ex except for maybe I have free will. Like it's unclear what people – Well, but so – okay. So set that one aside for a second. And then yeah. think that if you're calling answers to these questions indicative of a belief in free will or not, you are definitely a compatibilist. Like you definitely have a compatibilist view of free will because the truth of determinism has n no relevance on the answer to any of those questions. This is what I was going to ask because m maybe people conflate the two, right? So maybe people say uh, – determinism really does mean lack of free will, right? So maybe the lay mind is just not. I don't know. But look, if you're taking as indicative of whether you have free will, your belief that your decisions are influenced by a higher power, then mind control, social control. psychology. <laughs> I, I, you know, again, sometimes I feel like I'm part of an underground social psychology. <laughs> I'm a was, lab rat. That opened the, the clip right after the music was from a show called The Blacklist, <laughs> uh, where James James Spader <laughs> uncovers an underground social psychology ring being funded by the government. And all I could think when I was watching that, I had to turn off the show. But all I could think was, God damn it, I want the government to pay me like yeah. to do. How do I get control? hooked up with them? Yeah. <laughs> So I say no to that question. I don't feel like my decisions are influenced by a higher power. That's taken as indicative that I that I have free will. That's that adds to my free will point total, belief Wait, the, in free will point total. That you if are I, not influenced by higher power. Right. Yeah. If determinism is true, you know, certainly how scientists think of it, it's still going to be true that my decisions are not influenced by a higher power, right? Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. This you're it's a it's an implicit compatibilist conception of free will that you're not being manipulated, that you're not being 
unusually constrained by life circumstances or external circumstances or that you're not part of some larger plan like some social psychology lab rat experiment or uh, no i mean well so can you clarify exactly what you mean by compatibilism because it is two different things sometimes right it is a belief it means a gut person who believes that free will is compatible with the truth that we have like we could have free will even in in a deterministic world like why is that compatibilism so say it's implicitly compatibilist because it, it counts towards your belief in free will that these things that are fully compatible with the determinism are the things that limit your free will well, and so that if you like, ha- yeah. if you say yes to them, or if you give the free will answer, determinism could still be true or false. It 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 it, it says nothing about your belief in determinism. All it says is that you feel like you can actively make decisions and aren't constrained, which is exactly how compatibilists define free will. Well, so but some of these are not. So some of these are. I have free will even when my choices are limited by external circumstances. Well, I guess that what? one, yeah. But like, so it, it may be that people actually are missed. Like if it could be that if you ask the question, determinism is true or everything was, was written in stone since the big bang or something that they would actually actively correlate. Not written with the in stone. Everything is part of a causal process that, that you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, right. Like knowing, knowing everything about the initial state. But so it could be that people are just bad at knowing what determinism is. So in one sense, you might be right that philosophically people uh, are not this is this is not conceptually relevant to the question of determinism. But people might just be bad. They might think determinism. I agree. They might be. I'm not even saying people might be implicitly incompatibilist. Uh, All I'm saying is if you're using this scale. To say that people yeah. believe that they have free will under these conditions and don't under these conditions, then th- you are implicitly using a compatibilist conception of free will to I agree. measure that. Much, yeah. much like uh, in our previous episode, the woman was using a conception of, of honor that, I, that was unfounded. Well, no, I mean, look, (laughs) here's where I was saying I go back and forth. Maybe this is this is an indication that the best, most useful understanding of free will is the compatibilist notion of free will, which is because, you know, I don't really care. For me, it's all about moral responsibility. So you can do what you want with free will. I, I, I maybe the most useful conception of it is this like I don't feel like I'm a puppet on a string and some higher power is controlling me or part of an experiment or in the matrix or what you know like uh, I don't feel like I'm uh, being uh, manipulated I don't feel like I'm being unnecessarily constrained by societal forces by my genes because in the general will question they start talking about genes right I agree yeah I agree you're I mean there is a way in which just even calling it agency or something uh, would get around this. But in general, I think there is this problem where. But maybe where, that's they're right. But like yeah. Maybe this is the right thing. There's nothing to get around. Well, and, it's, and it's perfectly reasonable to think that uh, that there are these competence errors that that people don't really know what free will is. But I still, I still think your no, point that's is valid. Not my point. Well, no, people I mean, do know. It's philosophers that don't know what free will is because well, they but, keep having this debate about whether it's compatible with the real thing that people are caring about, or whether they feel like they can actively make choices or not. 
but this is this is the point I'm trying to make without taking sides, which I I take it is what what your point is is like suppose that you are agnostic as to whether philosophers or lay people are are right about what free will is. Um, there's a way. Well, in I don't which think there's an answer to that question, so I reject the premise of this question. But go ahead. <laughs> you don't. Believe I don't it. think free will is really something. But that that is an answer. Right, like then, then the whole pro- the whole project is kind of unfounded. But you no. can still say, they "No, it's like this is the best word that will distinguish a certain kind of subjective experience from another certain kind of subjective experience." I I still think that that if you are using a term that has been so carefully teased apart by philosophers, then you are you are doing something of a bait and switch by calling it belief in free will in in that it's like it's it would be akin to calling something racism and then asking questions that are actually like not race like not about racism at all that's not no like do you think black people are better dancers yeah exactly right so you know sometimes i actually think it would be a really funny study to do to ask the cornell students because they're so liberal to ask them on average black people have darker skin than white people (laughs) <laughs> I think they would reject that as racist. Right. <laughs> and they're like, point to like, I knew an albino or something. They'd be like, well, that's just what we mean by a black person. Um, so anyway, there needs to be a better attempt at at least at least saying this. What we're saying by free will is just this collection of responses that seem to to have this family resemblance in people, not what right? Because a philosopher might have very, very different ideas of what free will versus determinism versus compatibilism. What's interesting is the general will questions, which is a separate category in this scale, does bring in responsibilities uh, uh, into it. Um, Human beings actively choose their actions and are responsible for the consequences of their actions. Right. A person is accountable for the decisions he or she makes. Don't sometimes people use compatibilism as the view that determinism is not inconsistent with moral responsibility. Right. So then there's semi-compatibilism defended by John Fisher, which is that determinism would rule out free will, but not moral responsibility. Right. I so think you just, you just have free to, will I, 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 I'm just talking about free will right now. To and, me, I've, I've never, you know, as I've said many times on this podcast, to me, free will is a terminological question and moral responsibility is where the debate is right you know substantive right uh, but when you're saying compatibilist you're not talking about moral responsibility i'm not but what's interesting is that they, they bring they in are. more yeah, yeah. Uh, because one idea of what free will is is it's the kind of freedom you would need to be morally responsible for your behavior right and then it just becomes the same question that's, if that's sounded, your, it almost sounded like a christopher nolan moment you get the free will you deserve here's the other free thing will that, is part of the human spirit is a question like to that i don't even know what that means right. free will is part of the human spirit. what's the human spirit well if you don't know then you don't deserve to be taken see this is I'm, I'm definitely part of some experiment right it's, now. it's the pneuma a person is to blame for making bad choices another general free will um yeah you know here's another problem with using these as different scales and saying it affected one versus the other is that if you believe in general that free will is true, it follows that you believe it's true for you. So it's like a weird thing to say that people believe in free will for them, but not in general or in general, but not for them. Yeah. But the questions have nothing are about totally different things. Yes. 
Like the, fir- the, the free will and determ- the general will questions, it's all about responsibility. A person accountab- is accountable for the decisions that he or she makes. There's no matching question on the personal will question. I am accountable for the decisions that I make, right? Yeah. There's, no, yeah. there's, no, there's nothing about responsibility in the personal ones. And the general will ones, at least half of them are about blame or responsibility. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's that's a really good point. Actually, I hadn't I hadn't even noticed that. Um, you would want matching, like yeah. you really, you definitely want matching ones. Um, and, and they're not at all matching. They have nothing to do with each other, right. except there's a couple that have part of both as part of the larger plan. And you know what I actually think is getting captured by this is a conservative versus liberal belief about criminal responsibility. So all of these questions about responsibility, a person is to blame for making bad choices. People have free will regardless of life circumstances. A person who makes a poor decision should experience the consequences. You know, these are the things that people say when they're trying to say that, like, I don't care how you were raised. Like, you're not allowed to murder. Like, you should, right? It doesn't, it's not an excuse. So I bet you if they measured... If they measured political orientation, you might get this. And actually, the manatees just got me two balls. A need to pee, <laughs> conservative and liberal, <laughs> retributive. <laughs> Let's get in there. Uh, consequentialism, compatibilism. And oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> do, do like a major like four by four. I think we have a book. Manipulation. <laughs> Look out for the Very Bad Wizards book. Uh, not Different from the Very Bad Wizard book that has already been published. <laughs> So, okay, so is there a way that we could take, though, and this is why I'm a bit more optimistic about the paper, that if they just said what they were measuring, it might be interesting. So let's just call it, like, let's call these questions, this certain subset of questions, uh, belief in moral responsibility. And, like, just call it that, and then tell us whether or not that was influenced by desire to pee. But here's what they don't do. They don't break down item by item. They give us a, a scale average, right. so, and it's actually kind of hard to interpret because they sum these. So there are 14 items in the free will, the general will uh, yeah. subscale, and these are scored on a, on a one to five scale. So the maximum is five times 14, 50, so 70. A score of 70 is the highest you can get on general will, and the average is across groups here, like to look at the, let's just look at the first study epileptics believe as epileptics score 52 out of 70 and control participants score about 60 it is unsatisfying that they just actually it would be one thing to lump these together conceptually but then give us the scores for all of the all of the items um, but what? But they don't give us the scores for all the items. So they are right. taking an average. And we don't know if that average is just completely driven by two or three of the items that turn out to be about agency or about moral responsibility. Or whether, you know, it's like free will is a basic part of human nature showed such a huge difference, but everything else was not different. And so that's why the averages are, are changed. So it would be nice to have a table where we, you and I could at least say... On, on our understanding of what the differences are in these questions, like do the like stick together with the like and right? do questions on yeah. moral responsibility get influenced more than questions on right. spirit? No. What is this all in aid of? You know, well, there's a way in which <laughs> nothing is the answer to that. <laughs> I mean, you know, but 
but I say that lightly, but saying like, I actually don't think say a bunch of my study uh, studies are in aid of anything. So you could say that this is just another piece of evidence that bodily states influence the kinds of judgments that you would expect to be, you know, purely sort of stable and well-reasoned us showing that, that disgust influences political orientation, which we get, Yoel and I get cited. Thank you, Roy, for the early, I hope you realized in Bar Pizarum Bloom is like the third study referenced. Wow. Just <laughs> this, but in those studies where we show, like, say, the smell of the room influences your political orientation, at least temporarily, what does it aid to? It, for us, is a prediction that gets so it supports our general theory of what disgust does, but like, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not changing anybody's political orientation in a massive no, way. No, or no, 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 right. I, I, I just mean, like, what are we trying to understand about the mind? Uh, yeah. What is the larger theory here? I is think it the just larger... the bodily bodily states affect beliefs about things? I think that 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 they affect the specific bodily states have a a particular effect on beliefs that somebody might think it would be independent of your current bodily state. That is like your your metaphysical belief in whether human nature has free will. Like you relieving your bladder probably shouldn't be influencing that general view, right? I guess not. I mean, again, when you're having a terminological disagreement, your choice of terminology might change based on whether you need to pee or not. Well, no, that's not fair because I don't think people are having a terminological confusion. But but that granted, like we could look at individual items. Like so we could say that a person should experience the consequences of their choices if that if that went up and down based on whether you have to pee. If this was in aid of something like that parole study where it's like there's a strong correlation between how long they ate, uh, how long ago they ate and whether they decide to grant parole. Right. Like that That's would be it. I thought of that when I read this, but it's actually the opposite finding. Right. So uh, the more hungry they are, the ju- these is the Israeli judges making right. parole decisions are influenced by last break they had. Um, there the story is that um, they're depleted. Right. So they're they're sort of tired. They're they're going they're, with a status quo. Yeah. And the status quo there is rejecting uh, parole, yeah. parole. And so the more that one could say the hungrier they are there, the more likely they are to believe in free will because like, they're punishing somebody for their actions. No, but how would like a tr- how would a defense attorney try to use this? What would you you would want the jury to if it had affected general will questions which it didn't yeah so you you would try to keep them from peeing yeah so did they did they actually get they just said they used the personal will well so no that's study two and so they give them study two they give them Oh, yeah, you're right. Beliefs about free will in general were not measured. So, yeah, I can't even help them. But suppose that it did make people say, like, if they had to pee, they were less likely to believe in in personal and free will in others or in responsibility. (laughs) Jerry is like, Your Honor, I need to use the restroom. Objection. Objection. (laughs) In my hands, I hold evidence that this will affect (laughs) <laughs> their decisions in a way that goes against my um all right the, the point of this is to not do too long an episode <laughs> yeah we should wrap it up i actually think that that this is 
a, a mildly interesting set of results that are unexpected. Peeing shouldn't influence whatever it's influencing. The need to pee probably shouldn't influence it. But I think that that there is just a lot a lot of detail that is being glossed over. I think we've wrung as much out of this study as uh, we, yeah as uh, uh, as can be expected, be reasonably uh, expected of us. And I have to pee. And yeah, I have to pee too. I really so don't time. believe in free will right now. <laughs> but wait till I ask you after. <laughs> What were you saying? You should, that, like, you should uh, also masturbate, by the way. You should also. Well, you said something on Twitter about this that, like, you had <laughs> your belief in the appropriateness of the reactive attitudes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's just a way in which I I'm going to start referring to having to go to the bathroom. Right. I need to go change my reactive my belief in reactive attitudes. I need to I'm reinforce go, my belief in the appropriateness of reactive attitudes. Right. I have to re- I have to relieve my stress my stressonian. All right. Uh, join us next time. I think we're going to either have Sam Harris is now in that category of people who has agreed to be on the podcast, but we have to schedule. I I have some sympathy. It's hard enough for us to schedule I, time during the semester. So yeah, but they don't have their own podcast. <laughs> I know. They just write books. What is that? <laughs> exactly. Do you know how long it takes to record? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right. All right. Join us next time. The great end boss has spoken. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Who are you? Who are you? A very bad man. I'm a very good man. Good man. They think we lost and with no more brains than you have. Just a very bad wizard.